FOMO. That's my job. So we get paid to literally break into companies physically, to fish them, to vish them, to steal things from them, and then tell them how we do it. So that way they can fix all the gaps before the bad guys do it. But we can't, like, we're not cat, you know, like a cat suit, like repelling from the ceiling. I'm walking in broad daylight and convincing the security guard to let me through and then stealing a computer or something and then telling them how we do it. That's Chris Hadnagy, author of Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO sapiens. Now, I want you to start this episode by putting me on pause for a second and going and looking in your junk mail. Because what you're going to find in there is a bunch of scammy emails, phishing emails, where they're trying to get you to give information. The classic one that is very 2020, 2021 is Amazon saying that somehow you ordered something and then the payment did not go through. And so you should put in your payment information. I almost fell for that like two weeks ago. This is pervasive. And that is why there are billions of dollars being stolen by hackers who trick people. And it's terrible. In fact, What's going on is more than just some sort of haphazard regime. It's no longer just about somebody who's claiming to be some prince or princess in some African country who wants to send you $30 million. No, this is sophisticated because hacking isn't just about computers anymore. It's about people and it's being used illegally to get you to do things like click on phishing emails or to pick up calls where they, again, try to trick you to give you information, but it's also being used legally. Companies try to get you to buy things and salespeople try to get you to do things that they want you to do. So you are constantly being hacked. There are rules here. People are using psychology against you. And if you learn what's going on, not only can you avoid this potential series of risks, but you can actually use these things for good. It doesn't just have to be bad. And that's why I've invited Christopher Hadnagy on the show. He's the founder and CEO of Social Engineer LLC, as well as an adjunct professor of social engineering for the University of Arizona's NSA-designed Center of Academic Excellence in Cyber Operations. Wow, that's a mouthful. Chris is also a well-known author, having written five books on social engineering, including his new book, Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. And I really wanted to have Chris on the show because we've been talking over this season about psychology. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day, I never took psychology in college, but I'm basically getting my Psych 101, maybe 102, in this podcast. So it's been a really interesting experience to read all of these books, meet all of these psychologists and clinical psychologists and talk about human behavior. And I wanted to have Chris on because this human hacking, it really goes to the root of how people get us to do things that they want us to do and how we can protect ourselves. Now, I'm not an expert in human hacking, obviously. I just told you I barely studied psych, but if I were, I would use my powers for good to get one important thing done. I would ask you to subscribe, give me some stars, and share the podcast with people who might enjoy it. Now, I've just done a terrible job. There was no hacking at all, so if you weren't compelled, I apologize. But if you were compelled, I thank you in advance. And now, on to the interview. As I was reading Chris's new book in advance of our conversation, I was amused to find out that he included a pledge for each reader to sign right up front before chapter one. That is unusual, and I thought it was pretty smart. 
and you'll see why. And so to start our interview, I asked Chris this question. Tell me why you decided to start the book in that way. So actually, that idea came near the end of the book because we were writing this. Um, so I'm writing this, and my, my ghostwriter, Seth, he never written a book on this topic before. So he says to me, do you know that a lot of these skills can be used so terribly? Like this, this, this is people can do bad things with this. Don't you feel scared about that? And I said, look, here's the way I think about it. Um, a kitchen knife manufacturer doesn't hope that someone commits murder, but people do. A car manufacturer doesn't hope that there's hit and runs, but people do that. I said, in this case, these skills are needed to be known because the bad guys are already using them. And he goes, but maybe we can make people promise they won't. And that's how it came about. You know how like in school you have those that kids will be signed like a drug-free pledge. Like I promise not to do drugs or smoke or drink or something like that before I'm of age and they sign it and no one can enforce it. So I said, you know what? I want to start the book off with a pledge that makes people go, I I'm going to promise to only use these skills. Good. Can we enforce it? No, but maybe their conscience does. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, I actually thought I was like, well, that's really clever, but like, come on, really, is there anything in this book that's, that's so dangerous? And then as I started reading through it and you, you, you kind of unpack how people scam other people. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I am oblivious to what people are doing to me. And that's your specialty. It's human hacking. So, you know, we all know the classical computer hacker, you're a human hacker. What exactly does that mean? So uh, it started off, uh, it, you know, for a, a, maybe a short version of a very long story, as I was a computer hacker for another company many, many years ago, and I I ended up having this issue where I was really bad at programming, remembering code. So when we would have something called a, a pen test where we get paid to hack into a company, um, I was always the guy calling someone on the phone and getting a password or walking in and getting security to ignore me, and it wasn't a field at that time. So I actually created the field and then started researching the science behind it to say, how can we teach other people to do this in the security industry? And all I did was mimic some of the greatest con men and scam artists, but then read some of the greatest scientific studies by like Ekman, Cialdini, Navarro, uh, Kudi, and went, read all those studies to understand how can we make us, all of us understand how these skills can be used from a security perspective it later on moved to general population way after that. And so is it, I guess, this, the things that you're using as a computer hacker, you draw on some of those when you're dealing with human psychology, but I imagine there's a, there's a whole other set of tools that you, that you need to be building as you, as you deepen your practice. Yeah, so in, in the book, I outline these four things that everybody thinks about when a, a stranger approaches them, whether it's digitally, email, whatever, but people want to know who you are, what do you want, how long will this take, and are you a threat? Right. So they want to know those four things off the top. And then people get confused. And they go, well, does that mean I have to tell them all this detail? No. I'll give you an example. If you're standing in a Starbucks and you're holding your iPhone and I have my Android and I walk up to you and I say, hey, man, I got a quick question. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking of switching the iPhone. Is it really that much better than Android? Now, in that one sentence, I told you all four of those things. Who am I? I'm a guy that wants help with uh, choosing a phone. Uh, what do I want? I want help knowing if an iPhone's a good phone. How long will this take? I say a quick second and we're in the line at a coffee shop. So there's an inherent time constraint. Am I a threat? Well, obviously not. I'm just asking you about a phone. So I put your mind at ease, your force fields down by answering those four things off the bat. But oftentimes what people do that's wrong is I'll walk right up to you and go, hey man, 
tell me about your iPhone. And now you're like, whoa, are you mugging me? What's happening? Like, back up, bro. And it's aggressive. So by thinking about those things, you can use these skills every day and understanding human psychology helps you to use them in a much better way. I would be the one who would go up to the person and be like, where'd you get that? Uh, yeah. Which is why people run for me. Now, yeah. actually... <laughs> Tudo bem, meus queridos fomo sapiens. Now, that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. So you, you actually have, you've made a business out of these skills. I'm curious, like, what is, what does that look like? How does one make a business out of human hacking? Yeah. Okay. So I remember I had this great job working with this other company and I come home and I say to my wife, uh, listen, I want to start a company that does this thing called social engineering that I'm kind of making up as we go. And I want to make a company that does just that. And she goes, okay, how many people do it and how much do they make? And I said, well, we'd be the first, so I can't answer the second question. And God loved this woman because I'm telling you, she's like, said, let me think about it for a day. And she came back and she's like, yeah, let's try it. And we created an industry. It didn't exist. So what it looks like is companies hire us. Uh, actually, let me, let me use it this way. Have you ever seen the movie Sneakers, Robert Redford, 1992, something like that? No. If you, okay. If you haven't. Watch sneakers. That's my job. So we get paid to literally break into companies physically, to fish them, to fish them, to steal things from them, and then tell them how we do it. So that way they can fix all the gaps before the bad guys do it. But we can't like we're not cat, you know, like a cat suit, like repelling from the ceiling. I'm walking in broad daylight and convincing the security guard to let me through and then stealing a computer or something and then telling them how we do it. I've heard of phishing, obviously, because I get phishing emails every day. And, and yeah. thankfully, I think I'm pretty good at not clicking on those. But what is vishing? I've never heard of that. This is a made up word that now is in the dictionary, right? So vishing stands for voice phishing. And it made it in the Oxford Dictionary in 2016. And it stands for voice phishing. And it's when you get those calls. Hey, I'm from the IRS. You haven't paid your taxes. We're going to arrest you. Or I'm from Microsoft. I want to help you with problems on your computer. Or I see porn on your computer. I'm going to turn you into the feds. Those vishing calls, that's voice phishing. And they're trying to get credit cards, financial data, passwords, and other things from you. Not as catchy as FOMO, but still a good word. <laughs> yes. No, not as catchy at all. Because <laughs> it's phishing, vishing. And now here's a new one, smishing. That's What's SMS phishing. That? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I just got vished this morning and I- Oh, did you? I did. It was a, a woman called with this thing. I'm, every, everybody listening, by the way, you've probably had this. They call and say your car warranty is running out. Yes. Yes. And she said, what year is the car? And I said, it's a 2022. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's 2022. And she said, do you have any other cars? And I said, I have a 2023. And then she hung up on me. 
So that, that <laughs> that's was, great, though. That's what I did I this like morning. That. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to run up their bill, basically, as, yeah. a, as a retaliation. Yeah. So, so you're this human hacker. I have a question for you. Have you been hacking me so far? Um, well, okay. I have to define it first to say yes or no. Okay. I consider human hacking when we're not talking about malicious mm-hmm. and understanding how people like to communicate, validating them for doing something good and, and being honest about it, and then interjecting things that you may want out of the conversation or interaction. So in that case, yes, but not in a malicious way, right? It's more influence than it is manipulation. Well, I think what you're doing as I think about it, because we've had so far, like, you know, we were chatting before, we're chatting now and having a good conversation, in my opinion, is you're building rapport. And one of the things you talked about, one of my favorite parts as I read the book was that you talked about how to build rapport with people. And that's really important because especially post COVID, I don't know about you, but like my social skills are weak. It's, you know, when you see somebody, you're sort of like, you just don't even know how to talk to them anymore. And you talk about building rapport in a way that can can serve your life in so many ways, whether it's making friends, whether it's doing business, whether it's dating. So why don't you, well, let's just start unpacking some of the solutions that you provide in the book. Let's, Let's start with that one, which is, I think, kind of my favorite one. So rapport is that skill of learning how to become a tribe with another person, right? You and I, before this, never met. And our introductory conversation, you so kindly outlined, how do you want this conversation to go? Now, if I do everything you said not to do, we're not going to build rapport. But if I honor that, then we can build rapport and we can have a friendly conversation. And later on, when you're thinking about me, you go, that was a good guy. And I'll do the same thing. Oh, that was a good guy. And now we've built a tiny tribe, which is just us two. That's a lone skill. If people can learn that, imagine problems that we can solve. Because I think what's happened today is people have lost this ability to be disagreeing without being disagreeable. Like if I don't like something that you like, I have to hate you. Why? Can't you just like something different or have a different belief? And I go, okay, well, you know, that's Patrick's beliefs. They're not mine, but I'm fine with that. That's yours. And be okay, but really okay with it. Not just saying I'm okay because I want to be politically correct. I mean, really being okay with it and just, no, I don't have to agree. We could still disagree. But at the end of the day going, well, I don't need to hate you because we disagree. Yeah, and when you establish common ground, it's a lot harder to just see somebody as one way or the other. And so yes. you have this very, I thought it was really clever, eight-step plan yeah, so in, in that chapter, I talk about this uh, process that I call engage, which is helping people to engage with one another uh, using these principles of influence that, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, principles of rapport that were developed um, by a good friend of mine named Robin Dreek. He used to be the uh, director of the behavioral analysis unit for the FBI, and his job was to literally get people that worked for different governments to be spies for our government. And it's an interesting job because it wasn't by torture or force. It was literally talking them into joining his tribe. So these eight things. um, And actually, we can go back to the example I gave you about the iPhone to talk about this. So the first one is artificial time constraint. And when we think about that example, I walked up to you and said, hey, can I just ask you a quick question? Artificial time constraint. Now, what does that mean is, yeah, the question is going to be quick, but if you wanted to stand there and talk for 15 minutes, I would do it, right? So it's not real. I, I, I can stay longer, but I'm letting you know that I don't want you to invest in me for hours of time. Um, then second is adjusting our pattern of speech, right? So you already said, and I'm actually born in New York, so we're both from New York, so we can handle talking faster to each other 
But what if I was in the South? What if I was in Tennessee or Alabama? Instead of insulting them, maybe I should slow my pace down. What we call RSVP, rhythm, speed, volume, pitch. Slow that down to, and not to, again, not to be condescending, but that's going to build rapport. Um, then if I request assistance or sympathy, that's number three, where I said to you, hey, can you help me? I, I'm thinking of switching the iPhone, right? So now instead of coming in as the authority, look, Androids are better. I don't know why you're using that. Tell me why that's better. That's not ego suspending. That's saying, tell me why you're better. So I'm asking for your assistance, right? And then that fourth one, which I think is probably the most powerful, which is suspend your ego. So literally, even if you said something that I totally disagree with, you're like, well, iPhones are better. And everybody knows that Androids are garbage. I mean, they're always hacked. Instead of me going, you're totally wrong, man. Look, where'd you get that crap? That ruins our rapport. I go, oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm going to have to research that, right? And that would be a much easier way of handling it validation, which is after you start telling me about the iPhone saying, I didn't know that. Thank you. That's so interesting. I didn't know that had that feature. Boy, I wish Android had that feature. And then the, um, the quid pro quo is number six. And that is like giving you, it's Latin for something for something. So by telling you like, Hey, I have this Android and I'm holding it up. I want to switch to iPhone. Can you help me out? I'm giving you some data about me, right? Uh, number seven is giving to get. So that's in essence, I have to reciprocate. Uh, I can't just make it all ab about you because you're going to eventually go, why is this guy not telling me anything? So I have to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that feature you just said, that's an Android, but I bet iPhone does it better, right? Kind of like that. Um, and then eight is is uh, one that I always tell people in my field, which is managing your expectations. And the reason that's important is sometimes I go into a conversation and I think, well, this guy looks friendly. He'll talk to me, but maybe you just had the worst day of your life and you're uh, completely rude to me. Should I then change my pretext and be a jerk back to you? Nope. My rule is stick to the pretext. So I asked you for help with an iPhone and you're just a complete jerk to me. Okay. Hey, man, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. I, I'm, I'll talk to someone else and leave it at that. Don't change who I am. All of a sudden, I'll be like, man, you look like a jerk anyway. You know, like, don't change who you are just because of that stress. Keep to yourself and you'll, you'll see that rapport is so much easier to build. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. And what is so interesting about this is so you hear that, that list of eight things and, you know, it makes sense, right? I'm sure many people listening right now are like, that's a pretty good system. I should do that. Here's the thing, everybody. We talked about earlier in this conversation that these things can be used maliciously. When you get a call 
from the Visher, as we just I just now know what that is. <laughs> they're using those tactics against you. You talk yeah. about in your writing, for example, when you get a call um, from somebody who's trying to get you to give them uh, financial information, they'll have a woman with um, oftentimes uh, that seems to have an accent from India because you're used to having call center agents from India call you. And there's all these other things that are being done. You are being played. And so not only are these things effective in a good way, but but you can then start thinking, okay, when you get, when you're in the other side of the transaction and somebody's trying to use them against you, you can start to identify them and make sure that nobody takes advantage of you. It's just like learning a martial art or learning how to box or something. You, you hope that if you were a boxing trainer that all your students wouldn't go out and just start beating people up. But now if you're standing in the street and someone throws a punch at you, you would hope muscle memory would make you block that punch you know, and save you from getting hit in the face. So learning these skills means that you can now maybe when someone's coming at you, block that social engineering attack and deflect it so you and your family can stay safer. I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to to opine on how FOMO is used to hack people because oh big it, time right. So I I have my own views on this, but since you're the expert and I have you sitting in front of me, why don't you unpack that for me? Yeah. So um, fear of missing out is one of those things that plays on us. Let's think about QVC. Right. So QVC comes up and they tell you there is only. Uh, six of these left, and there's only two minutes left to the sale. So they're using FOMO in two ways, by the quantity and the time. And this is a principle that Robert Cialdini, Dr. Robert Cialdini, uh, researched called scarcity. And uh, he did this research way, way back in the 70s and 80s, and he wrote a book called Influence. And uh, in that book, he talked about this principle called scarcity. And that is when you make something scarce, the value of it goes up. And you might find people who have six George Foreman grills. Why? Because they sit up late at night watching the QVC and it's the last one and it's on sale now and I need to have it, you know, and it works on us. It works on us. How many times I, where I used to live, there was this uh, car dealership that went through some financial troubles. So they announced it was a closing business sale this weekend and things, cars were going to be 50% off and whatever. And people went in like by droves. It was unbelievable. And they had tremendous sales to the point where they went next weekend, we're holding our last uh, closing sale. They did this four weeks in a row. And I kept saying, does no one see that it's the last weekend, four weeks in a row? Like what's happening after the fourth week, they went public with an announcement saying because their sales were so big, they're not closing. Instead, they're building an addition onto their showroom and no one got mad. No one got mad because they still felt they got the deal because of FOMO. See, when you have a fear of missing out and you don't miss out, and I'll give you a great example. This worked on me. There's a whiskey. I'm, I'm a big scotch fanatic, big whiskey, bourbon, scotch fanatic. And there's a whiskey that out in Colorado that they only sell once a year. And to get it, you have to be in person. You can't order it online. And the line for it starts at the night before, and people will literally, in tents, be camping outside in sub-zero weather waiting to get into the store at 9 a.m. to buy this whiskey because there's limited bottles once a year released at one location. And you will see people lining up in the freezing cold. I have one bottle of it because someone crazy enough sat there and did that for me. And it stays on my shelf half drank because I don't want to I don't want it to run out because of FOMO. I don't want to miss out on this one thing that no one else will ever get. 
Now that we know that people are playing us by getting us to stand in line for whiskey in the freezing cold, and when we now know you're a kryptonite, how do we protect ourselves? Yeah, so, you know, here's, I, I love that question too, because here's the thing I always tell people. I'm a human, so that means I'm going to be vulnerable to certain things. I've clicked on phishing emails. I've fallen for scams before. Just because I do this doesn't mean I'm a 100% hacker proof. If you find the right trigger, like, you, I'm more susceptible, and I shouldn't be saying this publicly, um, I am more susceptible to whiskey-based phishing emails than I am to makeup, right? Now, reverse that for my wife, and you'll have better success, right? Unless I'm buying something for my wife, then I may be more prone to that. But here's the point, is that how do we protect ourselves is by, by once we know that this exists, setting up pre-existing scripts for how we'll handle situations before they happen. So like what I say is my, I'll give you a silly example. My, my rule of thumb is when I get an email, let's say an Amazon email that tells me um, one of my orders uh, is, is just done or it's being declined to a, a credit card problem. My, here's my process. I never click on the link in the email. I open up my browser. I go to amazon.com. I log in. I check all my orders. If I don't see the order there that was in the email, I report it to Amazon. If I see it, I fix it there. I still never click the link. And I'll tell you how that saved my butt once as I got an Amazon email saying one of my orders were declined. I was rushed heading out for the airport without doing my normal process. I clicked the link. It opened the page and I went to go log in. But out of my habit, I looked up at the URL bar and I saw something, something that are you not amazon.com. And I went, oh, I just got fished by the Russians. And I fell for an actual fish. But fortunately, they didn't get my password or my username. I was able to shut it down. But that script, even though I made the initial mistake, that script in my brain let me not fall for the full attack. So then you know it exists. Create processes for you, your kids, your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, your dad that help you stay safe from the attacks they'll endure. Yeah. And it sounds like too, part of it is just, you, you mentioned earlier about that sort of time pressure. It, it throws me back to, I got hacked and it was in kind of a ridiculous thing what happened. Uh, I got out of a cab in Soho many years ago. Guy comes up to me, you know, well-dressed, you know, friendly guy. And he says, oh, I've been locked out of my apartment and I work on Broadway. I'm a costume designer and I need to take the costumes up to the dry cleaner so they're ready for the matinee tomorrow. And I need to go to the theater and I need 30 bucks for a cab. And so, and I said, where do you work? And he actually, he said a show, uh, Sweeney Todd, my brother knew somebody, my brother's a musician, knew somebody who, who was on the show. And I said, oh, do you know this person? And he knew the person and because it was a star. I mean, it was not anybody, you know, particularly obscure, but I, that created in me the sort of the social proof that, oh, this is a real guy. And so I said, listen, I'm, I gave him the 30 bucks. And then, of course, that was it. And I gave him my email so he could pay me back and he never wrote me, right? He just ran off with it. Funny enough, about two weeks, I told my 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 best friend about that. Two weeks later, he ran into the guy on the street. And this time he worked for, he was on a different show. And my friend said, you know, I know exactly who you are. You've done this to a good friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. But if I had thought in the time and said, this is unusual, this guy's story is unusual and he's putting a time pressure on me. If I had just had the tools to go through the process you've just said, I probably wouldn't have given them 30 bucks. Here's like a, a like a script that would run in my brain at that moment. Instead of throwing out a real name, I would have thrown out a name that doesn't exist on that show. Oh, hey, do you know like, uh, you know, Bill Barber? Like he he works on that with my brother. And if he's like, yeah, Bill, be like, dude, there is no Bill Barber there. You know, nice job. See ya. 
Right, but that's the master right there. That's the master work. <laughs> but but that's the point. It's a script. It's a pre-existing script, right? Like I'll give you an example. Being from New York, um, when I go to New York, I I, I my rule is I don't like to. Um, this sounds terribly cold, but hopefully it won't when I get done. I don't really give money to people who are just begging on the street. But if I see a dude digging through a garbage can, I'll buy to buy you some food because if you're that hungry that you're willing to dig through trash to eat and I have the means to help you, I'm going to go buy you a bagel. I'm going to buy you a hot dog. And I'm going to come back like, hey, man, don't eat that. Here, eat this. And I'm going to do that. But if I got to give someone a couple of bucks, I leave a small wad of ones in the wallet, in the pocket where my wallet is not. So that way, if someone's like, hey, can I have some money? I pull that out. And if they're a bad person and they mug me and grab that, all they got was five or six ones. I'm not going to pull my wallet out so they grab that and run off with my credit cards and my license and all the other stuff. But this is a pre-existing script, right? I do this. Like when I go to an ATM, here's how I take money out. And I have this script that I've practiced over the years so I don't have an issue with those things. So it's not just – I appreciate the compliment. It's not just being a master. It's also saying I know these things exist. I don't want to fall victim to them, so here's what I'm going to do. And then I, I create those for my kids. I create them for my wife. So that way they can stay safe when they're out in different areas too. Be prepared. Yes. So the book is Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. The website is humanhackingbook.com. You're on Twitter at humanhacker. And uh, I just got a little advice for everybody. Don't try to pull one over on this guy. <laughs> Christopher Hanagi, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Patrick. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.